Welcome to another episode of Original Marketing. Brady, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Very, very good. Very, very good. I'm excited to chat a little psychology today. Yeah, I love the psychology of marketing. I feel like every segment technically yeah, is us. psychology yeah. of marketing because we just always think about it, but it's nice to commit it. What's your background in psychology for our listeners? Like how many classes in college did you take for psychology? Well, I, you don't even know this, so you weren't like teeing me up, but I actually started as a psych major. Psych? No, not okay, psych. No, I actually okay. did, but then <laughs> career development and like the actual career path of it. I didn't really agree so with you the starting salary and you quit or how did it Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I flipped from like, I was psychology to graphic design to business was okay. my freshman year. Okay. Um, but in the psychology classes is one of my favorite electives okay. was my psychology class. And then even in business school, it was consumer behavior. That was my favorite class. And I think somewhat of like a natural ability to think that way. Like, I just remember in the consumer behavior class, like, as people were studying, I kind of... Yeah, what stood out to you? Just where my... Like, what stood out to you? Just the... It fascinated me, really, just, like, buying a truck and how much the kid is involved in, let's say, the dad's decision to buy a truck. Or my case, the car seat. Okay, so I had a GMC, mm -hmm. 1500. Love the truck. Yeah. But I didn't get the <laughs> massive cab. You remember the truck? Yeah, yeah, you couldn't fit the car seat. I couldn't fit the car seat in. So when I finally got a car seat, first thing I did, I tried to put in the truck. Didn't fit. I bought a new car within like 24 hours. But that's also me being a weirdo. Yeah. But the second the car seat didn't fit, I was like, car's broken. Baby was coming. Seat yeah. didn't fit. He turned around a new car. Priorities. Yeah. But yeah, I think like even going on vacation, the kid's decision in that, even though the parents are paying for it and booking it. Um, and this is just one example of like yeah. kids influencing purchases. I mean, it gets into influencer marketing, the consumer behavior of that. Social. No, it. And I think psychology, to your point, of kind of what inspired you and got you here is such a backbone of marketing because I did a video about this, I think, the other day. But what's so interesting to me is when people are in this kind of field of marketing, it became about like last click, first click, dark social, all this random crud that does nothing for your marketing, does nothing for your goals, does nothing really for your revenue mm -hmm. compared to what does our audience care about mm -hmm. and how do I inspire them from apathy to action? Like, how do I articulate my brand's message in such a way that people actually want to buy from me? That somehow died, Brady. Yeah, I know we talk about, like, I always throw things out to the team and it, it sounds like some hippie shit, but it's like, <laughs> how do you make someone feel like they're not doing their job if they don't engage in your ad? Like, how do you make someone line. feel like... I do the apathy action. Yeah, Yours and that's all B2B, yeah, yeah. but that's essentially <laughs> like, how do you make someone feel like they're not the cool person or they're not living the lifestyle they want to perceive if they don't buy your product? Yeah. And that's all psychology so when we talk about psychology you know, like in specific what kind of what was your what's your theory you have for us today like yeah you want to break down like what can a yeah. marketer listening to us right now learn from you when it comes to psychology and how they can apply it so today it's a broad topic and i think my two examples are pretty narrowed down but it's around micro commitments micro -commitments. so micro commitments is a psychological principle used in marketing to get your ideal customer your buyer to make micro commitments before they purchase your product so it's initially just getting them bought into the process so it's not like a multi-step form or is that a function of it but that's like more tactic of it so a little less strategic or break that down yeah so the multi-step form is actually the two examples that okay. popped up when i yeah. first looked into it and the first one was from the obama campaign Okay. So the Obama's out here banging multi-step forms. Yeah. 
All right. He was so his campaign team did a lot of A&B testing on the donation donation website. Okay. And so essentially what it was prior to these tests, it was just kind of like one big form to donate to the Obama campaign. Okay. And they turned it into a multi-step form where it asked you certain questions up front. It guided you through the donation and their donations increased by 5%, which when we're talking presidential campaigns. It was millions of dollars. Yeah, they don't mess around with donations. Yeah. And then the other example is from this company called Randoms Rocket Memory. They are niched into like post Ivy League grads. They do like memory courses, but more of the classic. They had one form and they tested that. And then they had these questions leading up to the form, which was, would you like to receive memory techniques specifically geared to what you're studying? And then it's like, yes, please. No, thanks. So you select that probably. Yes, please. And then they say, which of the following best describes you? And it says things like, I've noticed my memory has gotten worse with age. I'm a student, um, less than 30 years old. Yeah. I'm a returning student going back to school. And so you you opt into those. And this is their way of making you commit your time to the mm-hmm. process. But they're also making you feel like what's coming out of this is now personalized to you and more valuable. And so after those two questions, they then hit them with, you know, the first name, last name, email. And this is all through Google ads. And so their conversion rate went from 5% to 20%. Okay. Just by implementing the micro commitment. Um, And then my personal life, last example. was I was worried you didn't have three. No, I I don't don't worry. I'm going to round it out here. (laughs) I have three and I fell into a trap when I was in the market for my first house. And I was starting to learn about mortgages and rates and do all that research. And I think it was maybe some Investopia site around mortgage rates. And it looked like it was going to be a calculator. And so it was all these questions, you know, what square footage, where do you live, your financial, you know, not into the details of connecting accounts, but they're asking me questions. And then it said, see your rate. And I gave my email and phone number. And essentially, it just got sent out to all the lenders, pretty much in the US. But they were... They built this micro commitment, multi-step funnel, like, hey, Brady, just understand the rates today, commit to the process. And that was all leveraged to then send my information to the lenders and they all hit me up. When you think about this concept, Brady, is there something you've learned in its practical execution? Like start with email or stop with email or use first name and last name. If someone wants to apply this and say, okay, I want to start using these commitments, these micro commitments in my Mm -hmm. marketing. And I want to make an impact. I want similar results. Like, how should they go about it? Yeah, I think where people get away from the strategy is when they just try to push their main product. They just try to get the end user to the finish line. And so, like, it's it's such a broad concept, yeah. right? I even think of Twitch streamers. They want you to just watch them. Then they just want you to follow. And then maybe down the road, once you're enjoying the content and the ads get annoying, then you subscribe. And that's when they're making revenue. What about so, the Patreon? The Patreon? Yeah, they, they have ah, those links as well. So yeah. the micro commitment is just the views. Just get people Correct. watching and then hit them with, oh, we also have swag. And I have a Patreon if you're enjoying the content. You know, I think in software, that's kind of where free trial can come into play yeah. is a micro commitment. You know, spend your time, see the product, and then we'll start selling you once you've already connected your accounts to the product. You're kind of already using it. It's You've already adding value, value to yeah. you and your role. Yeah. Now let's hit you with it's going to cost you, you know, twenty nine ninety nine monthly 
for the rest of the year. Now let's play devil's advocate for a second. Yeah. I found most people do micro commitments poorly. Yes, I agree with that. So what I mean by that is I've seen most people put themselves above others when designing this exactly. process. Yep. In other words, they're, they essentially call their crappy form micro commitments mm -hmm. or their horrible buying process, a bunch of micro commitments. But if we're being really honest, it's mostly bad marketing and bad. Yeah, it's sales. all for the sales team. It's all questions for the sales team. And it's Correct. transparent that it's, that it's way. transparent that way. It's a very self. I would argue most people I see do some version of micro commitments is really doing self-service mm -hmm. and not where they're like allowing you to self-serve yourself, but instead serving themselves. Mm -hmm. So what's your take on essentially two competing principles? Yeah. One of which is psychological friction. Yep. And the other is micro commitments. Cause I know you and I actually believe in both. Mm -hmm. How do you balance the two concepts of psychological friction? In other words, asking someone to give you more information or more value than you are equitably returning in yep. exchange. That's where psychological friction comes from. Like I want you to do X and you perceive it as uh, worth a hundred. Mm -hmm. And then in return, you get Y and you see that worth, let's say 25. So you decide not to complete yep. Y because yep. it has too much friction versus micro commitments. How do you balance the two? So the cool thing is, is you can do both. Okay. Like that's the secret sauce is you can get those questions that whether you want it as a marketer, your sales team wants it. You can get those questions out there and answered. It's how you position them. You need to position them in a way where the person feels like they're answering it for themselves so that they have a better experience so that they get more value. So when you ask someone, you know, your company size, sure, the sales team has a whole playbook for company sizes. It's how they route it to the right salesperson, the right AE, but you can frame that question to make the person feel like if I give them my company size, my free trial is going to be set up perfectly for me. That's mm -hmm. why I'm answering that question. But to your point, I think most people just throw the questions out there, no use case, no connection to the value to the end user. So then that person now thinks, why am I answering all these questions just for them? Correct. Right. Yeah, and so I think you can achieve both. Okay. Uh, that's where like the beauty of the strategy comes into play is that level of execution. So I'm not a fan of, fan of multi-step forms though these days because, okay, so ironically, it's faster for people to just preload all their information. And when you multi-step forms, they can't preload properly. What's your take on that? Just complete side note, but like, yeah. so I think uh, like they wor work worse now because we all have all our personal information saved to whatever web browser we're using. Mm -hmm. And then all we gotta do is type in that first letter of that first field and then it goes, everything's filled out and I yeah. can just hit submit. Yeah, but that's all personal information. Like this is, I think the information where you're offering something and the person might feel like, how are they actually gonna deliver that if I just give my personal information? So like, you're saying micro commitments go beyond form fields and instead are more about creating a buying experience yeah. that the user's excited about more so than going from seven fields to six fields or six fields to eight fields. Yeah. And I, I think what the cool thing is that the micro commitments can then increase the conversion rate on that information that is just vital. Irregardless. Right? The it's like the form is just a tactic. Because you've already committed time. Like Samsara yeah. is a fleet tracking company that does this. They make yeah. you select, you know, do you have buses? Do you have trucks? Do you have cars? Okay. I selected that. What size is your fleet? Okay. I selected that. And now you feel like you're committed to the process. So mm -hmm. then when they ask you, similar to the mortgage company, 
your first name, last name, email, and phone number, you're like, well, shoot, I just spent two minutes, which sounds yeah. stupid, but you know, it's a long time. People. Yeah, people. I spent two minutes answering all these questions. I feel like I'm going to get something really custom back because of it. I, I got to submit my information or else I just wasted my time. So that's also where the micro commitment comes into play yeah. is people feel like they're already invested so that you can then position those high friction, personal information based questions, which you eventually need in the end of the day. And from what I can see, it doesn't sound like it's a marketing strategy so much as a revenue strategy. And what I mean yeah. by that is like a micro commitment success should not be evaluated based off of Google ads or form fill conversion rate but instead probably evaluated by what percent of people who go through the experience show up down mm -hmm. funnel at your different life cycle stages. Like is my demo attendance rate higher for my micro conversion audience versus my non micro conversion audience. It's yep. kind of the way I would probably want to see it as like a CRO or a CMO. Yeah. And people bucket like webinars into this category, like a webinar attendance Correct. is a micro commitment, a micro, yeah. right? And the odds of them then attending a demo, depending on the quality of your webinar, like this is where people get it wrong. It's not as simple as a webinar. It's the quality. It's the meaning of it. It's how much does that drive that person to want to get a demo? Like what is your strategy of the webinar content? But it goes all the way to probably test driving a car, micro commitment. You're test driving yeah. it. They get you in there. You enjoy the car that then allows them to sell the car. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, what you're saying is a micro commitment is micro commitments is just a tactic within the overarching strategy of buying experience. Yep. Which makes perfect sense. Yeah. But when you try to make it the end game, I think to my point earlier, it becomes something that's negligible to you. Like when people try to do micro commitments because they heard us do this and they make like their buying process crappier by asking a bunch of questions that doesn't change the user's outcome that's not what we're saying mm -hmm. what we're saying is the user should essentially receive in return for their micro commitments an increase in let's call it macro value yeah does that make sense yeah it brings them closer to the product costco samples but i think something that just came to mind is i think that this is what makes social influencers so powerful is they are doing the micro commitment for you I think that's why they're the ones trying it out. they've already tried it. They're wearing it. They're using it, whatever it is. And so that micro commitment, you're almost doing vicariously through someone you look up to yeah. and inspire to be. And I think that's, I just randomly thought that's of that, what creates but that, like, I think that's why social influencers are so powerful is because they're doing the micro commitments. I love it. What do you got? What do I got? Uh oh, I got everything, Brady. You better have three examples. I've got a lot of words. That's fair yeah, enough. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. A... Maybe not three examples, maybe more. Okay. So this comes from a new paper published in the European Journal of Marketing from Kansas State University. You probably didn't miss that. Did you get that one? Um, My mail's been getting lost. <laughs> it's probably the mail. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so here's what they it. found. They found something that they call the creativity-based facilitation effect. We can't do the show in the afternoon if you're going to hit me with that. Oh, no. I've got it. It's been well-documented by previous research. And it shows that creative advertisements are more memorable than regular or less creative ads. That is creativity facilitates memory. Okay. Now, pretty interesting, right? I think it's like the business case for creative. Yeah. Right? Because I feel like the more and more advertising has become about analytics and attribution, the less and less, frankly, it's become about creative. Mm -hmm. Like having really good creative almost somehow like makes you legacy or neanderthal almost i feel like these days yeah because the numbers people will then look at it 
and be like, how is this connected to that? How is this connected to that? I think very creative work. It's more difficult to explain it in that way. Yes. And it becomes difficult to attribute it yeah. back to that attribution thing. That's yeah. why creativity to me died is because where does the creative of an ad show up in a pure analytics environment? It shows up in click-through rate and everything else. So then essentially the most creative ad is the one that has the best click-through rate, which then kind of bastardizes what creativity is supposed to be. Yeah, and it's measuring memory versus initial <laughs> action off the ad, and I think that's where the gap is. Correct. And so let's 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 dive into this a little bit. And you're gonna I got something teed up for you. Okay. But they essentially found that it extends the understanding by investigating the impact of creativity on regular ads and competitive advertising. The study says impairment effects of creative ads on brand recall for other ads examines whether creative ads impair the memorability of regular ads to determine whether a creativity based impairment effect exists, which is crazy. And we don't even have to try to figure that out. I think we should just go to the next point. Okay. And they have three points. Nice. Yeah. You like that, right? So they say for the study, three experiments were conducted. The first tested creativity based impairment effects in brand recall. In other words, like how did essentially creativity impair or hurt your ability to remember an ad? Mm-hmm. Experiment two replicated and validated the impairment effect in recall using a different presentation order of ads. And in the final experiment, effects of creative ads on competing versus non-competing brands were examined. And so essentially the results found that creative ads impaired the brand recall of regular ads. In other words, if you did really good advertising, your bad advertising became worse. Okay. Which I love. Yeah. It just creates that contrast. Yeah. It's like, a, yeah. like, oh, wow, that was a really good one. Who was that one? I don't remember. Yeah. So if you also put that in a competitive landscape, right? Here, I'll bring it. And creative ads were recalled earlier in top of mind recall positions. In other words, to me, what's so cool about that is if you're – think about the way ads are delivered today on TV. Mm-hmm. Are ads ever delivered in isolation or are they were delivered in a sequence where your brain is then competing for memory? Yeah. Right? Like think about a commercial break. How many commercials are in a commercial break? I'd probably say it depends on streaming, but like six to ten. And you could theoretically remember some of those more than others. Oh, of course, yeah. Regardless almost even of the initial brand starting point. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what they're looking at. Mm-hmm. Now, this research makes an important theoretical contribution as the first to explore impairment effects in the context of creative advertising. In doing so, it offers important managerial insights for regular and competitive advertising. And then they're going to look in the future at different memory of it all and everything else of how it could affect it. But what I thought was so cool was this little part here. Creative ads impaired the recall of competing brands more than non-competing brands. So if, Let's say Downey and Tide. Are they the yeah. same company? They might as well be these days. Sure. Who knows? I think P&G owns everything. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. But let's say you have two different detergent brands. The creative one was is good enough that you forget. Yeah. It pushes them out. The competitor. Yeah. Which I thought was so interesting. Because it, it's it essentially, to me, is proposing the theory of zero sum. Mm-hmm. So the way zero sum kind of works is essentially if someone wins, someone loses. And my whole take on business is usually you can have two winners. But in advertising, what they are literally saying is if you've got two ads, if one is more creative than the other, and they don't break down how they measure creativity, so we can do some reading. Yeah, I was kind of curious. I know, I know. How do you define it even? 
And I'm sure it's in there. Yeah. It's, you guys can read the study. It's a paper. It's the European Journal of Marketing talking about creativity-based facilitation effect. So dive into it. Check out the paper for yourself. I'm sure they weren't off, right? Yeah. Um, but the cool part to me was far more that marketing can be zero sum. In other words, your marketing can be so good and other people so bad in comparison that they forget about the competitor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's kind of exciting. Yeah. I mean, I know we talked about my love for the don't become your parents progressive commercials. Yes. And I know there's that like the Allstate danger guy. Yeah. But I can't even tell you what Geico is doing right now. It's a frog, right? Or no, frog. Yeah, he's a gecko. Yeah, a gecko. I know there's the gecko, <laughs> yeah, 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 but I don't gecko. know like what their campaign theme is right now. And I think that's because of my obsession with the don't become your parents. It gets worse. Right? Is the general still Shaq? Oh, I don't know. Is the general still around? You don't really care though, right? Because your brand has essentially, due to advertising, the way you would now buy insurance. And by the way, you haven't brought up State Farm. Yeah. I think State Farm's just like an old Patrick Mahomes commercial at this point. Yeah, I got point. the jingle in my head. How's it go? Is it bum 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 Is that State Farm? No. Well, give me the line. I don't know the line. I think it's bum, a. Bum. What has it go again? I'm gonna try to come up with the line. No, that's farmers. We are oh, farmers. Yeah, there it is. Kind of slaps. Yeah, so uh, farmers we remember. <laughs> But like my point is, is <laughs> I know like the jokes of the don't become your parents. I think yeah. they're funny and I can't think of the others because it literally impairs you outside of like the classic jingles that are just ingrained in our brain. Because well, our brain must have essentially so much space for useless information. That's not to say I have nothing of other insurance, but I definitely am not tracking what those companies are doing as much as even though I probably see them just as much. Yeah, you're creatively impaired. Wow brainwashed like the rest of them brainwashed by marketing and advertising it's a powerful field i think when you look at the study the study is based off of essentially receiving ads within a set environment so what i mean by that is like a lot of times when directive is advertising you're not also seeing other ads from other performance marketing shops Mm -hmm. but i would say like cybersecurity is a good example of this like when I fly into SF back in the day, I couldn't not see CrowdStrike everywhere. And at the time, we were doing all the marketing and advertising for Sentinel One. Both were competing. Both were trying to take market share. Both were aiming, I think, for IPO at the time. But frankly, CrowdStrike was doing a better job of asserting themselves as the bigger, more dominant player with their creativity, with their ad placements. And with the way they were doing offline. Now, we weren't responsible for offline. We only had, essentially, the Google Ads business at the time. Yeah, they were like digital out of home. Yeah, but think about the Google Ads business. Like, would do you believe that if you were maybe the third spot but had the best copy, you could beat whoever had the highest click-through rate in the first spot? Yeah. I would argue you yeah. could. I think it's that it, there is probably a difference between, like, the intent-based channels and then, like, your TV, more audience-based yeah. targeting when it comes to yeah. creativity. Yeah, because like TV commercials aren't ranked for you top to bottom, if that makes sense. They don't work in a top to bottom manner. They kind of work more left to right. Like think about if you think about a commercial, you don't think a commercial like this top six, you don't rank all six each break. But like when you're doing an intent channel, you read the page from top to bottom and you mm-hmm. perceive its importance or value from kind of top to bottom. That's why the first spot in Google has its highest click-through rate. Yeah. That's why the Google search organic top, top spot has highest click-through rate regardless of what they're saying because your brain works hierarchically 
So it's kind of interesting to think yeah, about. Yeah, you got to balance the intent alignment with your creativity. Yeah. But same thing goes for the TV. I'm sure they have to balance their creativity with just the product alignment, right? You can't get overly creative to where you don't even know what you're advertising for. Or have no offer. Like we talked about that in previous yeah. shows where you have this really hilarious, awesome ad, but then they don't send you anywhere or ask you to do anything. Yeah. So you have to still capitalize or create leverage on your creativity for it to essentially be monetized or valued, mm -hmm. I think is a good mm -hmm. way of explaining that. Yeah. The lottery, Brady. Do you know anything about the lottery? Um, I know I haven't won it. Okay. And I know the IRS wins. Uh, the IRS most definitely wins the lottery. Now, for the audience, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know anything about the lottery. I don't think I've ever bought a lottery ticket. Have you done like a raffle, you know, back to school night back in the day? <laughs> oh, let me tell Cake you. Cakewalk, oh. raffle. I got a story for you, Brady. Okay. I may or may not be competitive. I don't think the audience could tell that. Yeah, I don't think you are, but yeah, you not can try to convince me. Yeah, yeah, I've been acting like it for nine yeah. years. As everyone saw, I put my like competitive act on. But, you know, I have a 4th of July party on my street. Okay. And they have a raffle. Now, I have a tendency. How are you getting competitive with a raffle? Well, because I don't ever win the raffle. Okay. And I was asking how many tickets everybody was buying. Yeah. And they were only buying like one or two. Mm -hmm. And I think I bought 200 tickets. And you, I won you, all the prizes. You won it all. I, mean, I was hoping you didn't win. <laughs> and I won like almost every prize that you could win at this raffle. I just kept going up. I mean. It was bad. What was the perception? Oh, it did not go it well It wasn't good, me. right? No, they clapped at the first couple. Yeah. And then yeah. disdain set in. I was, they were not happy about it, and I was almost too embarrassed. Yeah, like, what are you winning anyway? I was winning, like, beach chair, I, nothing I wanted. I threw everything away, I think, eventually. You didn't give it away? I just, I got, I never won a raffle before. Yeah. It was the 4th of July, I was having a okay. good time, and the lady came by with the, the tickets. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd had a couple drinks, I was having fun, and I was just like, how many you got? And she threw out some crazy number, and I was like, sold, and then I just bought, like, I thought everybody was kind of doing this, so I wasn't mm -hmm. like, I was in my house, I came out to the block party, I got out there, saw the ticket lady, and I was like, heck yeah, let's get a bunch of raffles. I completely overspent. Yeah, the roll looked pretty thin. Oh, it was a huge roll, dude. It was this big thing, and I was like, okay, everybody's going to be buying these tickets. Yeah. And I told Myra, my wife, I was like, babe, we're winning this year. And so I went hard, and then <laughs> oh no one else God. bought, so here's where it got bad. They're like, before the raffle, please make sure you submit your tickets. And I... Was the last person to go up like and put it in the bowl or whatever. Yeah. And there was like nothing in the bowl. And then they made me rip off every one of them. And I was there for like 10 minutes, just individually ripping off the raffle tickets and putting them in the bowl. It was horrible. It was well, where the money go. Was it like a break even? This is just to pay off the prizes or usually raffles sponsor something. Right. So there's a margin on. Oh, I'm not that good of a person. I don't think Brady okay. sometimes I was blinded by my own desire to win. I didn't know where the money was going. I actually don't know where any of it met, went or what it was for. I just knew there was a raffle and I wanted to win. And that's Man. what happened. Well, that's pretty much the lottery. Okay. So when yes. we talk about the lottery, I've never tried to win that one. I feel like there's a lot worse odds than my neighborhood raffle. Because mm -hmm. I did pretty good at that one. Mm -hmm. You just have to buy way more tickets. So how would you market the, ra like the lottery different? Knowing what you know. So let's just assume, let's, tell me what you think you know about the lottery, and I'll tell you what I think I know, and then we'll figure out how we yeah. market it. 
So to me, when I think of the lottery, which I'll separate from scratchers because there are really great scratcher commercials. Like when Pac-Man came out, there was a really cool commercial for it. Really? Anyway. What kind of TV are you watching that you get the lottery? Because um, this is part of my strategy. Yeah, no, Family Feud. <laughs> family Feud. Wait, are you a huge Steve I'm Harvey a, guy? I mean, I enjoy the concept of Family Feud and I have fallen in love with Steve Harvey. He's hilarious. Steve His Harvey's Instagram is just a fashion show. It's like him and his wife walking out of their hotel in Paris. He's, he's always like, a cigar, right? He always oh, looks yeah. way too he's cool. He's in like a crazy yeah. tracksuit with a cigar. He's a funny guy. I need it. Should we get some Steve Harvey swag? Grow up. He has a mustache too, right? Dude, I, feel like the mustache I shaved too. my mustache last I did notice you night, on camera. Last night. Just you saw it on camera? Yeah, I think you had it on Friday. That's were... a... Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. That's cool. Like I zoomed in and I saw it. Oh, I had the lighting right and everything. <laughs> no, I, I hadn't shaved it for like two weeks and I was really feeling it. Yeah. But we have a wedding this weekend. And... So you think Steve Harvey's charm is the mustache or do you think it's just his overall demeanor? I mean, he just is this character to where he can say a lot of things that I think still like they wouldn't fly, but he's still doing it on Family Feud, which is yeah. kind of funny because like family. family. Um, no, I, I just think it's funny. And I like the game. That's I really great. like the game. It's so funny. To it's see just a nice kickback. You know, you listen to a couple questions. You do your guesses. And I just want to remind everyone in the audience, this this is our intellect. Like Brady and I, we're not Jeopardy guys. So I just want to know. <laughs> No, that's way too easy. <laughs> this is who you're listening to. Okay, so take all of our advice with a little yeah. grain of salt. We're much more family feud yeah. kind of people. Yeah. Anyway, that's where I see my Medicare commercials and maybe some okay, lottery Okay, so that's where you get your lottery commercials. Yeah. Where I've only... And we're going to focus on the lottery because scratchers yeah. are different. Yeah, scratchers are different. So the way I think of the lottery is you pay, what is it, like $2 maybe for the mega, a dollar for the normal... That's just a guess. But okay, anyway, okay. so you pay a small you pay that money for monetary a ticket amount, and yeah. that money goes into the pot. Okay. And then I don't know if they still do it this way, but once the pot is or the time date is there, they roll the balls. It's randomly selected. And if you have those numbers on your ticket, you take home yeah. half the pot and the IRS government takes home the rest. Isn't it 60? Is it 55, 45? I don't know. Okay. I saw well, a bunch of memes about yeah. this because there was like a recently like huge one, right? Correct. Yeah. That's was what, it over a billion? That's, what that, that's why we're talking. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Remember, it's marketing and culture. Yeah, so yeah. It's so it's like relevant event. stuff. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. There cool. you go. I see what you did there. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a big one. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, but anyway, all the memes on Instagram from like the financial pages I oh, follow, yeah. it's all just joking about like how much money the government made. Well, because so the reason I think we should maybe market the lottery different is I think the government's making money off of people that maybe yeah. shouldn't be buying a ton of lottery tickets. Yeah. Like, to me, if you don't have a ton of money, obviously winning a life-changing amount of money means a lot to you. It's kind of hard, though, maybe to process the odds of winning because it's a little different to go back to my raffle story of me competing with my 12 neighbors, all of which were taking it for fun, and then I accidentally bought the whole roll. is very different than how most people, I would argue, treat the lottery. Most people who treat the lottery might not be the highest income families. Yeah, no one can walk in and buy a trillion mega tickets. Tickets. Correct. And if you did, it's kind of what you did on your block party. Correct. But you can't do that in real life. No. So if you were in charge of marketing the lottery, what would you do different? Well, who I'd would you to... want to market to? Let's talk about our audience first, Brady. Let's build a campaign yeah. today. So we are now the CMO of the lottery. And mm -hmm. who do you want your audience to be? It's, I mean, everyone in America, pretty much. 
Okay. Have you ever seen a marketer successfully market to everyone? No, but it's a lottery. I, I think that's how we got here. We're trying You're to do a new lottery. You're selling the American dream. The, okay, so we so before we get to audience, maybe we start. Oh, I think we need audience first, Brady. I don't think we can go to value prop and messaging until we have audience. Mm-hmm. So you still think every American should be the audience, or is there a type of American you want? Because they're going after a type of American too right now. I wouldn't say they're going after you, Brady. I bought two of the Mega Millions. Well, Lindsay wanted me to, and she wanted a Slurpee from 7-Eleven. So. so you still got two of them? Yeah. And the marketing came from third parties or directly from the lottery? Uh, just Lindsay grew up that oh, way, kind teams. of the thing you do. Yeah. Coworkers used to split tickets back in the day. Okay. So I might have a biased viewpoint. Maybe a lot more people than I think are buying lottery tickets. I think that's how they advertise. Okay. Is they go after the people who actually think, oh my gosh, this is what I need to change my life. Yeah. And if I do this every, whatever, I don't know how, if it's weekly or whatever, but if I do it every time, like it's going to hit one day and they actually believe that dream there's the co-workers who that's just a casual thing to yeah let's, all hey, to let's grab about. some lottery tickets after let's all buy in together i'm collecting the money we go to the gas station we get at lunch and we have a thing to talk about yeah, we'll share the work pot. week yeah you probably have the super wealthy people who don't need it to change your lifestyle but let me throw my hat in the ring kind of thing I honestly think like, that's a part of the strategy more. is to advertise to the masses. I like that. So we normally do niche advertising, but I'm going to take you up for it, Brady. So every American is our audience. What about immigrants that aren't American yet? Do I don't know if they buy lottery tickets. I don't know if they'd be able to collect the winnings. Okay. So we're so just going to focus depend, on yeah. Americans and we don't know the laws. So we're just going to focus on Americans. So you're an American and you're in the, the continental United States. Mm-hmm. So, what's the message? What are you what are you selling, Brady? Cuz you're not selling the ticket, right? You're selling you're selling the job to be done. Do you run a campaign that shows someone after winning and how amazing their life became? Cuz what I find it very interesting about the marketing of the lottery. Yeah. I don't think they do that. No, they don't. They don't, but hey, we're going to do it better than they have. That's kind of I don't of my think point. they should do that though. Well, every I think everybody's understanding of it is your life somehow gets worse if you win in their heart of There's hearts. There's some documentaries about Correct. that. Correct. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. There's some negative marketing out there. Yeah. But it also gets you to think of the odds. If you like sell the outcome too much, now you're thinking of the odds when they kind of just sell the experience. Like what about a campaign like this, Brady? Let me just pitch you a campaign. Okay. I'm here. What's 45% of a billion? <sighs> Come on. So what you could do is you could lean into the tax angle and still be like, who doesn't want $550 million or something? Yeah, it's $450 million, right? Something like that. I don't know. I almost said $45 million. We don't watch Jeopardy and we're not good at math. Well, it's also, what time is it? It's almost 3, right? It's almost 3, yeah. Yeah. Brain stopped working at 9 a.m., so this is tough for us. I'm only halfway through my Diet Coke. (laughs) Are you a Diet Coke guy now? I'm a monster. (laughs) You're a monster energy No, I'm a Diet Coke monster. Oh, you are? Yes. You're a fiend? Yes. Wait, when did you develop this new addiction? Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my wife drinks them and I Because I knew you were a cold sips. brew fiend. Yeah, I'm a coffee day. guy, but it's similar. It's just it's an acquired taste and it's it's very refreshing and it has the caffeine. When I have the aftertaste, it just to me that's the taste of cancer. Like whatever re- yeah. like I don't know what the flavor you know what I'm talking about, right? That little aftertaste you get on like mm-hmm. a diet. Mm-hmm. To me, I heard that diet stuff gives you cancer, and I can't forget that. Yeah, now. I need a sip. We're talking about it too much. <laughs> we just got to eat sounds it. delicious. Now, I think you could lean into the tax angle on the lottery in the sense that you could. Like promote what they would do with the money? 
No, no, no. Nobody cares about what the government does. <laughs> How do you lean into the tax angle? Even after taxes, it's a heck of a lot of money. Yeah. So, so a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, but you get, you get taxed on all of it. You got to pay all. Like, it's like uh, if you win the family food, they're like, oh, well, yeah, you, you know, you got to pay taxes yeah, on the car. You actually take the cash over the car. You, you can make, yeah. They, right, they always do that thing. So what if you leaned into the tax angle? Do you think that would get people talking about it? I think that's still the minority who goes there, though. Well, remember, it's not about getting people to go to buy lottery tickets in my mind. Because I think people who buy lottery tickets are already buying lottery tickets. Oh, so like how do you open up? Correct. I'm doing the marketing for the lottery. I think if you sell an addictive product, you don't need to essentially keep your current customers. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know a lot of like casinos that are like trying to get their like top slot players like running ads to those people. I think they're usually running ads to people who haven't played the slots yet so that they can hook them. Yeah. Right. In other words, if I'm running the lottery, I'm trying to get more people to play the lottery, mm -hmm. not get the same people to play more often. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but that's kind of where my brain goes. Yeah. Big tobacco flavored vapes. They're not trying to get, you know, my grandma to stop with the cigarettes. They're trying to. Correct. Like, I don't think the tobacco companies are trying to get smokers to smoke more of their cigarettes as much as they're trying to get people who don't smoke the youth to mm -hmm. start smoking. Mm -hmm even though they would say otherwise. Correct. Yeah. So what I'm trying to say is if I'm the lottery, okay. my premise of doing the marketing for the lottery is how do I get the people who aren't currently playing the lottery, right? And I can look at all my data. We say every American could, but we're over-indexing on these types, right? How do we get the rest of them? Because mm -hmm. I'm sure what the brief would probably look like, right? So we got a brief for the lottery. So for you, what's the campaign angle? Do you want to take the American dream? Do you want to maybe do some nostalgic like 19... 40s like america going to war ads i saw some really like it, it's so good when they show like you know like forgotten country type ads yeah. like what's how do we get people to play the audience what's the angle you're going to take that's a tough one like even personally for me my mind would actually be around having a plan for that money and understanding Ooh. how the government on the government side of things because I always joke about like speeding. It's like, hey, you know, if I get caught, I'm donating to my city. I love my city. So be it. You know, give give more money to Do the Do you know department. how much of your speeding ticket goes to the city? No, I. it's more of a joke. Okay, it's like okay. I'm willing to give back Correct. to my community if they use the money well. Correct. Right. And so it and would that's be, what governments do. Anytime you give yeah, them money, they, they use it they exceptionally use it very, well. very well. No waste. And it's perfect allocation. Yeah. So it would be interesting to commercialize the business plan for those funds like how is it Ooh. where is it going what impact similar to like when you donate to a charity like a nonprofit, where yeah, they a non show a charity like they that's 95 percent goes to the executive team five percent goes to the people who need it no, I'm just kidding. No, but that's yeah. kind of what no, you, that's you're trying to break yeah, down that similar. perception yeah, yeah that's exactly what i'm thinking of is like the nonprofit and donation so and that's just personal to me which Correct. i that's very altruistic that though. would be a new demographic i think i'm similar to other people so i think that would get a segment is okay cool let me give this money i know it's gonna do this so wait and then there's a chance though. i make whatever the are you telling me i can segment my ads to the american people i can maybe run different messages well that's yeah that's where i was if that's possible so for... i also don't know the like where are the laws it's almost like alcohol commercials you can't show anyone drinking the alcohol like what kind of regulations are around it's always just like a really crappy stock image and someone like partying with like balls bouncing in the air. I feel like, you know, what I'm talking about yeah. like when you're driving on the freeway and you see like a lotto, you know, like the super lotto mm -hmm. or whatever they call it, the mega, I think you're calling like, that's what they always do. 
But yeah, I would argue that's fine if you could segment it to people who don't need the money. So if you took your wealthiest part of the country who were Democrats Mm -hmm. and then ran that campaign to them, I think it would work. I think if you ran it to a bunch of conservatives who didn't have a lot of money, I don't know if they would be inspired to give more of their money to the government. It would have to be segmented. Like That's a message where you can't show it to everyone. No, you cannot. Because that could get people who are already bought in, like you said, the addicts already doing the lottery whenever it's open. Like That could get them to stop. Now, we could run into problems with the government running hyper-targeted ads to certain swaths (laughs) of its population. For the lottery. So let's say say a little bit, like one step above Cambridge Analytica, if that makes sense. So what's the ad that anyone anyone, could see? You said every American is your audience, and if I can't say it, because you you gave me something that only works if you don't need the I agree. I you trust the government. You would lose the interests of some of your market. I would argue the vast majority is low-income, conservative would be where I would mm-hmm. say the mm-hmm. lottery index is. Just guessing. Yeah. Then I think you just you sell the dream, you sell the chances, you sell that there's no way you can get it if you don't buy a ticket. Like that's, and I think that's kind of what they're already doing. Is they don't sell too much the winning because then you think about the odds of winning. So the American dream is a lie unless you win the lottery. Is that the ad? Because I, I. I want to get to the ethos of it. I want. Yeah. I think we can do this together live on the show. Because if you're saying that, what you're saying is the American lie is a dream. The only way you'll ever have the life you dream of is by. No, it's the like the super dream, the hyper dream. It's not just the general American dream. Not trying to replace well, like start your own, super dream start now. your own business. How many kind people can buy houses? How many yeah. people have a nucleus of a family still together? Yeah. I mean, the old American dream is pretty much dead. What's the new American dream? What can we kill? Because that's the old American dream. What's mm-hmm. the new American dream? If we think about it like a tobacco company, we want to hook the next generation of America of Americans on the lottery. Mm-hmm. You get a million TikTok followers if you win. Like what's the like? <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? What's the angle we take to win the youth over to the lottery and learn from big tobacco? What a weird statement to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean the. I don't think there's too much of a new American dream. I think it's financial independence and the handful of routes we have to get there in america how more than other countries i love that so let me give you an angle brady how could you get closer to that without winning because that to me is interesting what if losing had value because everybody loses except for one person like so you're buying a ticket still yeah you're still buying a ticket but what how could i see buying a ticket as a win, even if I lose. Because to me, that gets really creative. How could we position it, right? So, Brady, how can you position buying a ticket as a good thing, regardless of winning? I mean, that's where, along where the lines the of goes. where the money goes, but maybe bringing in nonprofits and charities, Ooh. right? Like to like 10% goes to that no matter what. And Basically. then obviously, you're going to be taxed on it. But kind because of like the we. model of like a Tom's Shoes or something. Like, yeah. this is the impact we're having yeah. on the environment of the community. Yeah. I like that. And maybe that's a, you know, a tax deduction at the end of the year is you can write off your lottery tickets. No, I think that's an altruistic kind of utopic angle, right? Like how could the lottery affect um, global warming? Mm-hmm. How could the lottery affect impoverished communities, right? So I think we could take the here's where the money goes angle you brought up earlier. But then people are self-centered, right? They're very self-centered. So what do they personally get? even if they lose from just going through the experience fun yeah fun a talking point 
Okay. Right? It's social. So what about the lottery it makes it fun in your mind? I think just being a part of the odds. Like for me, I like scratchers. Those are way better odds. The lottery has some better of the odds. odds. It's ever. a better experience too. You're actually like scratching things off. You don't just have this receipt, thin orange piece of paper that you check the numbers. But I think that's the experience too. Like I've never even done this, but I guess when they announce it, you probably grab your ticket and you know, you cross reference the numbers on the screen or in the newspaper or you heard on the radio and you look at your ticket. Like I think it's that adrenaline and rush when the first number matches and then the rest don't, but that first number did You got me and the dopamine, right? So no, I love that. So I was breaking down casinos while you're talking in my head. And I think the key to this campaign is participation. Mm hmm. If you think about it, a lot of the worst odds in Vegas have high levels of participation. Think about how you participate. When you play blackjack, do you have to check each time? What do you mean? Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're very... You're, check or hit? Or, yeah, so you mean hit or hold? Well, playing check? blackjack is fun even if you don't win because you are playing the game. Yeah. But we check. That's poker, right? They're both. Well, you check the cards, or you hold and you oh, hit in blackjack. Okay. So you, that's why I was thrown off. Just yeah, yeah. So you can check, like you would, like you put your hand, like that's hitting. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's hitting. hitting. Yeah. Checking is when you're just saying, "Hey, I'm cool with the bet on the table in poker." So you check. Correct. Which would be essentially waving your hand. Yeah, yeah, check. yeah, yeah. It would be like stay or hold. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, something. Correct. But you participate. Craps, you throw the dice. Mm -hmm. Roulette, you pick a number or a color. There's this participation factor. In other words, playing, gambling is fun because of the participation, not just the winning. You also get a free drink brought to you. It smells nice. You're in Vegas. It's an experience. You're participating. So how could we make the ticket mm -hmm. feel like participation? For example, what if on every ticket there was like a live drop? You know, like how you like they drop like a sneakers app on like yeah. Nike or something. What if we allowed the lottery to have a very high participation factor? Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons you like the scratchers is it's there's a higher level of participation. Yeah. If you think about it in a scratcher compared to a lottery. Ticket. Yeah. And they're actually bridging it. I, I don't know if it's for the lotto ticket, but they're bridging it to like mobile online. And so on scratchers, you can like go to the website and enter the code for your second chance. And that like that gets you into the online environment. Well, yeah, because like think about trading cards, trading cards, you get to keep the cards. Like what if previous lotto tickets could still have value? Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden you're participating in a game bigger than you. Yeah, it's got like a, you know, stick on tattoo on the back kind of thing. Correct. Now you're participating all the time. So now we get to sell how fun it is to play the lottery, not how much money you could win. Mm -hmm. Because I think if you sell the fun of the lottery, I think the average human knows the odds aren't great, but they like to gamble. Yeah. As humans, we like to gamble. So you still have that. But I think there's a lot of people who maybe don't participate in the lottery because they don't see what's fun about losing. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people could find some fun and participate. Yeah. Yeah, I can even see a commercial with like just a bunch of different demographics and their reaction to winning and losing so like a group of people at the bar and they lost and they're all like dang it and then one person alone on the couch and they won maybe a small amount and their celebration 
and you can kind of just show the experience win or lose but everybody's like, having excitement yeah it's excitement oh you remember that meme they do where they cut they change the screen that's in that bar and everybody goes, yeah yeah imagine the it. dvd logo right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. The DVD, yeah that's what the coinbase commercial was based on right i think so yeah but if you did that same thing and you start to recreate it's fun win or lose like sports isn't fun because your team wins mm-hmm. cheering on your team is what's fun yeah if you had a way to cheer on your number like imagine if they had the world's largest horse race you know those horse races with the mechanical horses yeah, yeah. that go back and forth and what if like if you could have all one million numbers let's say if a million there's a million lottery tickets sold what if all one million thought they were winning for a second like if you play daily fantasy and you get this moment like only like in the first quarter of the very first NFL game, but you're in first out of like 25,000. Mm-hmm. It's the best feeling in the world. You know you're not going to finish in first. Yeah. But any way that you could recreate that, I think we could crush marketing the lottery. Yeah. Even like a way to QR code on the ticket and it opens up like a digital experience on when the numbers are being read and your odds like fluctuate as numbers yes, get read. Now we're talking. And I think the commercial would be showing not just the winning and losing, but them waiting for the numbers, right? So it's a family watching. It's a group of friends. It's someone alone. Because that's what it is. It is the experience. It's just being a part of the odds. And that's I love what that you it shared is. it with others. I would argue that most people don't buy lottery tickets. Maybe I'm wrong here, but in complete isolation. Because everything you said yeah. is like with some coworkers, your wife, by the way, you said your wife earlier. So to me, if there's like a kind of communal element to it like imagine if there was like the world's craziest like um like community of all the lottery people like imagine if you built lottery community yeah <laughs> you know like imagine being the moderator of the like the community forum for all the people who purchased a lottery ticket yeah but there's also the dangers of bringing other people into the decision like obviously like i don't agree with buying the ticket my wife wants to she's gonna win that one all day so we still do it Correct. But when she brings me in on it, I'm like, do you like, let me just get you a Slurpee. Like, I'm so not going to get them. Why did you feel icky about the lottery? What made you feel icky about it? Because that, that little ick, that's what we got to get rid it of. It wasn't icky. Like, I, eh. you see me in Vegas, I'm hitting a slot machine in the airport. It's not like she could knock me for the same logic, right? Correct. Or lack of. So what's. It's what, just the odds are so low. I'm not going to win. Have the odds ever been stated? No, but I think the amount, the higher the money, the lower the odds. So everyone's like hyped when the odds are the worst, which is like the beauty of the lottery is it gets so hyped when the odds are the worst. That is so true. Like imagine like anyone else, like imagine that if you apply that. Like, I'm trying to get that $1 million mega million jackpot. Like that means not, not a lot of people are in there. There are those sports bettors though. They only bet underdogs. Like the odds are too good. And you're like, yeah, but they keep, there's a reason why, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, that's like a higher profit if they do win. So, like, right. in that, the odds are low, but if they do win, it's a big pop. And yeah. so, if they do it, like, they're all hedging bets, right? Correct. They can design their strategy. Yeah. Do you think people try to do similar strategies to the lottery? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I, don't think, I think the lottery like is just so simple. they buy five scratchers and one lottery ticket? It's, it's so like- simple. I think my grandpa, when he passed away and we went through his house, he had some crazy, he was an engineer. Okay. So, he had some crazy, like, lottery, Formula. like, manual algorithm. Like, I've heard people don't ever try to buy lottery tickets from, like, big corporations because eventually, like, you need the feel-good story of, like... Yeah, like, like let's pull over to this random gas station in the middle of the desert because the odds are... Better. Better there. Correct. Yeah, I've heard all of it. Dude, I... 
I think it's just a crazy concept. And where do they market the lottery right now? So how do we distribute our message? So we want to, so what's our message? We, we get nailed down our campaign. We're going to focus on participation. We're going to focus on. Yeah. Feel good. Just lose, being a part of the odds. creates for the community. How yeah. it helps global warming and the environment. <laughs> I feel like we could tie all that into like one story. Yeah. I don't, like you said, like if it's not segmented, I don't know if we can go into what the government does with that money. But I do think it's just selling, being a part of it, selling, being a part of the odds. You're never going to win if you don't join FOMO. So the kind of, yeah, the primary thing is FOMO. Make it casual. I mean, set up well with how much it costs. It doesn't cost a lot. And so really the $2 it costs to buy a ticket. And now you get to enjoy that time with your coworkers talking about it on a Friday afternoon. You're kind of selling that. I love it. And then I think we can do some things where we maybe keep your historical tickets. You know, we're going to call back all of, we're going to do like based off a micro lottery based off of all the numbers pulled in 2012. Whoever still has that ticket. If not, it'll go to 2013. It'll roll over. Yeah. The QR codes, the apps with notifications when it's being read. I definitely think there's some cool ways to, to better engage, to bring it beyond the thin yellow piece of paper. Do you know where we can legally distribute this? Because I've seen it on, I've seen the lottery on the 55, the freeway with like, um, they've got a billboard for it. I've seen that before. Yeah, they do TV. Okay, so we got yeah. TV, we got billboards. I haven't seen I don't know if it's Instagram state specific. ad. Have I? Maybe I have. I may have. I think I might have recently. That's why I'm like, oh. Only for scratchers though. Like I've seen really cool high production ads for like when the, like I said, the new Pac-Man scratcher came out. It was so like this. you love the campaign? Well, I already enjoyed just doing scratchers as like a fun thing Can to do. Can you scratch the lottery? No. I don't. Why don't they make the lottery the lottery a scratcher? I don't know. Because that would just make you participate. Yeah. Right? It would give for cost, you it would be probably more cost fun. too much. It would be more fun. It's probably for you expensive. You think it's more expensive? Yeah. It's a lot of the half a second. Yeah. But yeah, I've seen the scratcher ads and whenever they have a new theme, like I think they had a Tetris one too. And so for me, I love video games. I love the classic video games. I already enjoy just spontaneously telling my wife, like, hey, I'm going to go grab you a Slurpee and get some tickets. And we're going to scratch them while watching Family Feud. Sounds like a great night. Believe it or not, I'm 30 years old. Yeah. So for all the listeners, (laughs) I'm probably one of the only 30-year-olds that's watching Family Feud getting scratchers. (laughs) But yeah, it's just that's a fun, random, spontaneous night. I love... I, I shouldn't say it like that. A lot of passion just came out. I don't. <laughs> I was about to say really I love gam- I love gambling. <laughs> so I don't right. gamble that much. No, you don't. But I think you like. But the, I enjoy it. It's, yeah, like, it's because I don't do it. Right. It's just fun when I yeah, when I do it. And you know, I've made it well enough in life to where I don't feel guilty about buying twenty dollars worth of scratchers on a random no, Tuesday. You? you know, I know what I'm it's doing, just by fun. The way, I think on my drive home, I got to get a slurpee and some scratchers now. You've inspired. You know, the wife loves a Slurpee. Yeah. She enjoys the scratchers too. If nothing good has come out of this podcast, I think we've just reinvigorated people's loves for scratchers. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I know what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> I love it. I love it. In closing, it sounds like the way we would go about the lottery is we'd have to figure out some type of emotion that we could tap in that every American shares. Yeah. We don't really have to break down how the government spends the money, but we could do a simple, mm-hmm. simple concept like 2% of the money goes to the homeless. Or 2% goes the environment or something like that. Or 1% or let's not think the government's going to get overly generous all of a sudden. But we could come up with some kind of utopic good that you're doing by buying the ticket. 
that could appeal to everyone. So we come up with the least controversial thing that everyone could be like, yeah, I do think human trafficking is bad. I'll give 1% to that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think we can come up with a couple things that we can maybe anchor it to. So even if you lose, you feel like you contributed. Yeah. And then I think people should participate. I know you said scratchers could be expensive, but I think the process of scratching a number off and maybe even what if you could have some micro winners in the lottery? Like what if every hundred tickets you won about dollar or two dollars? So mm-hmm. it could be maybe some micro dopamine that we could give back to people. The scratchers, you don't win the good scratcher usually. You usually win the bad version of the scratcher prize, right? Mm-hmm. Or you buy a scratcher for five bucks and you might win six bucks or something. But that's like on a yeah. hundredth ticket. Yeah. The last thing it's just going through my head now. Once once we get going on these, I know. But it's being adaptable to just the culture. Because the one thing I'm thinking about is like, why was this one so big? And we're talking about potential recessions. So if we're talking successful ad campaigns, just kind of taking a step back, we can kind of track that campaign aside. I don't think it's an ad that got the one point whatever billion it got to the other week. It's the culture. It's the recession potential going on. The macro impact. So thinking of that, then how do we take that and bring that to advertisement? Yeah, I think that's how we create something powerful. And I don't know if that's just like no. accelerating what's already going on. That's driving the lottery and yeah. bringing it to advertisement. But I think the style of ad changes dependent on just where we are as a country. No, I completely agree. I think and that's a good, I think, note for all marketers is whatever campaign you're running right now still exists within the macro economy. And I mm-hmm. think understanding where we're at as a country, where the world's at is important when you think about the message you're trying to communicate, who you're communicating it to. Yeah. So no, man, this has been fun. We are now fully explored the lottery. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Going to go buy some tickets. I know. So if you're listening today, hopefully you'll buy some tickets, waste your money. I mean, <laughs> contribute your money to a financially sound. To the government. Yeah, to the government. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, thanks to everybody. As always, like, leave five stars, review us, subscribe, and um, whatever else you can do to help us out is always great. Yeah. So thanks, everybody. And that's another episode of Original Marketing. See you next week.